1: You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast
2: platforms.
1: Stepping to the batter box. Welcome back and thank you for joining us on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. This is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Maneman. And today's episode is about pushing boundaries, equality, never settling. And it is a very inspiring episode for everybody. Today's guest is Rachel Balkovec who was the first female to ever be hired by a major league organization on the hitting end of it. And she she is currently the Gulf Coast League Yankees hitting instructor. And she was hired February 1st of 2020. Now, this episode has a sit-in host, lifelong friend of mine, New York Yankee insider from Dubuque, Iowa, currently living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, New York, Nick Hall. Nick, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Coach Maneman, and great to be here. Now, before we turn it over to Rachel, Nick, you sat in on the interview. What do you think viewers will take mostly from this interview?
0: I think, like you said, like you alluded to uh, in the intro, um, just about not settling and not taking no for an answer. And you know, sometimes in life, uh, you may be the most qualified person, and sometimes you get passed over for things. I know I've experienced it in my life. I know you've experienced it as well. And it's just a really great and inspiring episode to uh, to never give up and. You know, not let anything like gender or anything else get in the way of achieving your dreams.
1: Now, when you listen to this, the one thing that I love about Rachel, besides her story, she has such an inspiring story, but she is a straight shooter. She did not hold back with her language. She did not hold back with her stories. She did not hold back with her opinions. She did not tiptoe around anything. And if you ever encounter Rachel, don't ever tell her she was a minority hire or she will let you hear it. I hope you enjoy <laughs> this next episode of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring Rachel Bulkovic from the New York Yankees.
2: Thank you. I am happy to be on, and I'm from Nebraska, so happy to be a part of the Midwest uh, organization. So, yeah, I'm excited to get going.
1: Thanks for dropping the Nebraska plug in there, because I try to always tie it to our area. And when I saw you were from Nebraska, it was easy to work it in. Now, Rachel, when I was researching you... you had one of the best resumes in all of professional baseball, but you could not find a job. So, can you tell us about your resume under the name Rachel Balkovec?
2: Um. Yeah. So I. I mean, I don't want to say I had one of the best resumes in all of professional baseball. I'm but, saying uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say. I have a pretty unique resume, I'll put it that way. And I think as a young coach, I definitely had a pretty good resume uh, coming up. And so I basically, just to run through it quickly, I guess for the listeners, I've been at, I might miss some, but um, like Exos, LSU, Arizona State, St. Louis Cardinals, Los Tigres de Licea, uh, Houston Astros, and now the Yankees. And then I skipped a couple. But anyway, point being is that. Uh, when I was coming up, I was pretty, like, stacked as far as the internships and the experiences that I had, had. and um, getting into professional baseball was a bit of a challenge. I had, to the point of, let's see, 2013, I had done six internships and been a graduate assistant at LSU and worked with baseball and softball there, who were both in the College World Series at the time, and experienced some pretty high-level ball um, myself at uh, playing Division One softball at New Mexico, and um, just... I had a very good resume for a young person, and I had already interned for the St. Louis Cardinals, and I decided to move to Phoenix, which is not where the Cardinals are based. So I moved to Phoenix, but 15 baseball teams are based there, so I thought, no big deal, I'll apply for another internship with a baseball team in Phoenix, because there are 15 teams based in Phoenix, and there are eight to 10 positions that were posted online as being open. So I sent out my resume there, and applied to pretty much every open position, and I heard nothing back, and I was like, I was like, that's weird. Um, but I but I just, at the time, I was pretty naive, and I just thought like, okay, I guess I have to do another internship and do more, you know, I was like, oh, I just have to do more work uh, to get my resume good enough, because these positions are so competitive. But what I didn't realize was going on is that they were receiving my resume and not looking at it because I'm a woman. So what actually uh, opened my eyes to that was that during spring training, I finally got a phone call from one of the organizations I applied with, and he said, hey, one of our guys quit. We really need somebody. Are you still local here? It says Phoenix on your resume. Are you still local? We need someone to start like really soon. I was like, yes, of course. So I interviewed interviewed twice with him, and he said, you're the person we want to hire. I'll call you in a couple of days. We'll get the HR paperwork going um you know you're gonna work for us and I was like cool never heard from the guy and I was like that's weird (laughs) I was like this is like ghosting wasn't really a thing back then so I just was like what this is like did he lose my number like what's going on I followed up I followed up never heard from him and I actually like after a few weeks I was like okay I I don't know what happened so finally he called me like three weeks later and he's like hey I'm really sorry uh, to tell you this, but I want to be honest and just let you know that I wanted to hire you, but our administration wouldn't let me hire a woman. And so that was probably the first time that I actually understood why I wasn't getting opportunities or why maybe I wasn't getting callbacks and, you know, with the resume that I had. And he he was like, you know, he's like, I, I'm really sorry. My mom was a PhD. Like she, she's a badass. She raised me to respect women. Um, and I, I'm just sorry, you know, and he was like, I was like, well, thanks for being honest. He was like, well, it gets worse. And I was like, well, how could this possibly get worse? <laughs> and he was like, uh, he was like, I just want to let you know what I tried to do over the past few weeks is contact all the people that I knew had open positions on your behalf because I couldn't hire you. And they all said the same thing. And he's like, I just want, you know, basically wanted to let you know what you're up against. And I was like, well. Okay, like, here you go. So that year, I kind of, uh, I sat a year out of baseball and just continued to build my resume. So I interned at Arizona State for the second time for free. So I could kind of keep my foot in strength and conditioning, I guess. And I worked as a waitress. I worked at Lululemon. And then I ended up doing a fall internship for the Chicago White Sox for 30 bucks a day to drive 45 minutes across Phoenix to show up and, like, basically babysit upper level players, um, and then drive 45 minutes back. So I was just getting my gas paid for it, essentially at that point. Um, so yeah, anyway, the, that next year coming around when I was applying for full-time jobs, I changed my name on my resume and can I, can I
1: cut you off there real quick? Because I, I want to talk about your resume. You did skip over some things. And I want our listeners to know how qualified you are. So you have a master's degree in kinesiology from LSU. Helped out with strength and conditioning with the LSU baseball and softball program. Fresh off a national championship. Internship with the Cardinals organization. You were coaching players who spoke Spanish and you did not know the language and you self-taught yourself how to speak Spanish. You were the strength coach of the year in the Appalachian League and you got zero interest. So you did something that I thought was brilliant. You changed the name on your resume. So the Rachel Balkovic resume was no more. What did you change your name on your resume to?
2: I changed it to Ray. I was talking to my sister one day and she said, well, why don't you just try changing your name to a man's name, you know, and see what happens and just to see if you get interest. And so I was like, oh, that's a funny idea. And then I was like, oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) So I changed it. And um, I, I actually changed like, I changed my name, and I changed like NCAA Division One softball catcher to NCAA Division One catcher. Um, I just made everything in my email because my email said Rachel Balkovec. You know when it pops up, so I changed that in the you know Gmail settings to R Balkovec, just with my first initial. Um, I listed fifteen male references on my resume so that they would see like there's fifteen men that would vouch for me to be able to work in this position. I even changed. I was like, well, what if they like try to look me up? Cause if you Google my last name, you're going to find me. But nobody did. Cause no one would ever assume that a woman had that resume. Yeah. Cause, cause that resume was legit. So no one would even think, Oh, I'm going to Google this person. But I still on my Facebook today, still it says Rachel and then parentheses it says Ray. Cause I was like, I don't want them to think that I'm lying. So I'll just, I'll just kind of lie and be like, "What? It's a nickname. This is what I'm, this is what I go by, you know? So I, I changed it to RAE, and I immediately got, like, so fast. Like, where where I would get nothing before, I sent out my resume, and it's, like, response, response, response. Finally, like, I get a call. It was, like, a response of, like, hey, we're interested. Um, when can you set up an interview type of thing? So it wasn't anything where they couldn't figure out I was a woman yet. But then I got a call one day, and I uh, answered the phone. I was out with some friends. I answered the phone, and I – it was a number I didn't know I said hello and they were like hey can I speak to Ray and I just was like I was like oh it worked it worked so I just I said oh this is she and of course it just you could hear the ruffling of papers in the background and he was like uh sorry just trying to make sure I said your name right and I'm like there's only one way to say Ray you know he just was shocked so I couldn't talk at the moment I said hey would you mind doing this tomorrow like I'm, I'm, I'm totally interested I want to interview but can we do it tomorrow afternoon because I was not in a quiet place he said yeah sure never called me back I emailed him never just totally ghosted um so I just you know I I felt immediately very I didn't feel sorry or guilty I just was like this is not a good feeling so I was so just des- desperate that I was hoping to just get on the phone with someone and have an interview and they would be surprised by how qualified I was or just my demeanor, but pretty quickly, I mean, that was a pretty short lived alter ego. I was like, this is not how I want to get a job, you know? So, but it was paradoxically a glimmer of hope because I knew when I sent out my resume with a man's name, I was like getting all these responses. So I knew I was doing the right things. So I knew my resume was good enough and I wasn't confused by that anymore. Where I was like, do I need to do more internships? Like I'm on my sixth, seventh internship When do I need to, you know, what's the line? So anyway, it was uh, obviously a pretty dark time for me, but something that I was like, okay, I know I'm getting responses. I know I'm doing the right things. So it was kind of in some ways this weird glimmer of hope, I guess.
1: I know for me personally and professionally, one of my biggest fears is the fear of rejection. You don't get that job that you thought you were qualified for. Uh, the girl you want to go out on a date with or the guy you may want to go out on a date with, they they for some reason reject you, you don't know. But um, you had everything that lined up to be qualified for these positions. And that's got to be a hard, hard way to place to put yourself in when you're not getting hired just just based on your gender. Now, I go to spring training every year. How in the heck were you living in Arizona off $30 a day with their internship with the White Sacks?
2: Uh, I was working um, at Lou Lemon and I was waitressing, I, not simultaneously, but I had waitressed for like six, seven months at a really nice restaurant and made a lot of money doing that. And then was internship and at Arizona state in the mornings early, like a five, six a.m. session with their softball and women's soccer team and baseball. So I was like, I was just funding myself through waitressing and working at Lululemon, which was, you know, it's tough. A lot of people don't want to do, I had a master's degree and I had five internships to that point or six and I had to go be a waitress and work at Lululemon. So a lot of people don't want to do that. And so they try to just seek out a paid job, but I was just like, I'll work these kind of side jobs to fund my dream.
1: How did you get your big break?
2: My big break, my big break was when the Cardinals hired me back full time. So I had already like to give you an idea. I don't this is such a like lengthy drawn out story, but I don't I don't tell this on every podcast, but like it got late in that off season, and I didn't have any opportunities. And so I was planning on sitting out another year of baseball and going and working another internship at Eric Cressy's place in Boston. So for the listeners, anyone who doesn't know Eric Crest, is a really well-known baseball performance specialist with a private facility in both Boston and now in Florida. But I was like, I was broke. I had done six whatever internships at that point. And then like I had still applied and signed up to go do another internship and move from Phoenix to Boston in January. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I don't, was I going to sleep in my car? Like I was going to sleep in my car in Boston in January. I had no, I, I had no plan. <laughs> I was like – okay, if I can't get a job in baseball, Eric Cressy's place is the next best place. So I actually applied and got an internship with Eric Cressy's place and I was accepted and moving when the St. Louis Cardinals called me to interview me as their minor league coordinator. So again, to put this in perspective for the audience, I could barely get a sniff for a like part-time internship. And the Cardinals called me after working for them for one season as an intern, They called me and wanted me to interview for a minor league coordinator position. Again, to put in perspective, that's overseeing 250 athletes and 10 male strength coaches and traveling all over the country to oversee every single thing to do with the minor league operations for strength and conditioning for the St. Louis Cardinals. So my big break was just the fact that I had interned for the Cardinals for like a three-month stint in 2012, and that they – I did get awarded the Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year Award, which, you know – I don't know why I did. I was the only girl. You get voted to do for those things. But I had done a good enough job where they saw potential in me to be a coordinator over their entire system. So I couldn't even get an internship. And here the Cardinals want to hire me back because of how good of a job I did as their coordinator. So my big break was just like, it was again, late in the off season. They hired me full time to be their coordinator. And I was so shocked that, like, when the Major League Strength Coach called me to interview for that position, I was so shocked because I couldn't even get an internship. I had to, like, look at the phone. I was like, is somebody punking me right now? Like, why is this guy calling me? I was like, is this guy serious? I didn't even believe until they flew me to St. Louis to interview. I was like, how can I not even get an internship? And the Cardinals want me to be their coordinator. So that was, I would say, my big break. And all hats off to Pete Prinzee for. He was the major league strength coach at the time for believing in me and giving me that opportunity.
1: 2016, you were hired by the Houston Astros organization. What was your job description when you were there?
2: I was the Latin American Strength and Conditioning Coordinator for two years, and then I was in A with them for one year.
1: And then did that lead you to the Yankees?
2: Uh, so I, yeah, kind of, I while I was there, I decided that I would probably want to seek other, like, um, career opportunities besides being a strength and conditioning coach. And so I decided to go back to school. So I went back to school in the Netherlands in Europe. For one year, I did my coursework in Europe. And then I did my research at driveline baseball and eye tracking for hitters. So meanwhile, like, I just, I knew I wanted to transition out of strength and conditioning and into probably a more skills-related job. Uh, and I, I mean, like, um, skill, like, hitting or pitching. And so hitting was more of the natural slot for me because the biggest difference between baseball and softball, in my opinion, is pitching. So the, the most natural move was hitting. And also like with the Houston Astros, I was mentored by the hitting coaches a lot, and they were some of my closest friends. And so I, I basically knew the hitting philosophy inside and out with the Astros. And I just would, you know, all these conversations, I would slip into hitting meetings and ask questions and what do you think about this hitter and why don't you like that guy and what's his, why don't his hips do this, blah, blah, blah. So I just kind of got this informal apprenticeship with the Astros from the hitting coaches. When I moved to the Netherlands, I asked them to be in the cages. So I actually... Went. Oh, excuse me. I didn't mention. I I did an internship while I was in the Netherlands with the national baseball and softball teams. So I was a full time student, but I was going every day at some you know some point in the day to go and work in the batting cages with the Netherlands national uh, softball and baseball teams. So I crossed over to being a hitting coach there the whole time. I was in contact with my current boss Dylan Lawson, who is the hitting coordinator for the Yankees, and so he was kind of like mentoring me from afar. He would send me research articles. So. By the time that I was done with my curriculum there, I knew that I wanted to do my research in eye-tracking for hitters, and so I moved to Seattle and did that at Driveline Baseball, which is a pretty well-known performance facility for baseball. Um, So I did my research there, and while I was there, I I interviewed and was hired with the Yankees as a hitting coach, and my boss, who I met with the Astros, Dylan, uh, is the one who hired me.
1: That's what I love most about your story is... You didn't just settle on being a strength and condi- conditioning coach. You wanted to continue to improve your mindset and, and improve your knowledge by picking everybody's brain and, and getting into the hitting aspect of it. Now, how did it come for you to get, get hired by the organization? And what's it like working for an organization that some would argue is the best in professional baseball?
2: Um, so it, it just came about, like I said, because Dylan, um, my boss now he was with the Astros, so he knew my work ethic. He knew that I was able to coach. He knew like my, my more of like cultural philosophy of like how to coach, not necessarily strength and conditioning, but also something that people don't realize. I think it's hilarious when I hear like, oh, she's a minority hire or she didn't earn it. And I'm like, you, if you knew, if you know the story, you know, that that can be further from the truth because Dylan, so his background is actually in strength and conditioning as well. He has a master's in exercise science. So he's a hitting coach, but he had a really solid foundation of understanding the human body and like just principles of training the human body. And he has applied it to the skill of hitting. And so he was hired by my original mentor, Jeff Albert, who is a hitting coach for the Cardinals on the major league side. And Jeff Albert has a master's degree in exercise science. So when Jeff Albert was with the Astros, he hired all these hitting coaches that were meatheads. Like he had this whole staff. I mean, you walk in the morning in spring training and with the Astros at one point, and the entire weight room was filled on the racks and the squat racks with hitting coaches. So he had hired all of these guys with basically backgrounds in exercise science and understanding the body and training and lifting and how that's important and how that affects on-field performance. And Dylan was one of those guys. And then Dylan gets the job as the hitting coordinator for the Yankees And he also wants the same thing he wants hitting coaches that understand the human body and just like physical training in general that can be applied to the skill of hitting so he knew me as a person he knew me as a coach he knew my my ability to develop relationships with especially like laden players and just my he knew my entire background and so when i started to get into hitting and did my research in eye tracking and and dove into uh, eye tracking research as well which he even turned me on to you know, it was I think kind of a no brainer for him where it's like, why? Like, if this was a man's resume, we'd be all over it. So like, who cares? You know. And he also knew me personally, which makes a big difference when you're a female.
1: I know you could hang in the weight room with all those meatheads because I see your morning exercise videos that you <laughs> post on Instagram. And those, I think I don't know much about weightlifting, but are those the cleans that you're doing where you take? probably like 600 pounds and raise it over your head from the ground.
2: Uh, that would be overhead. would be a snatch. My my background in weightlifting is very much Olympic lifting based. It's just how I learned as a college athlete and, um, and also early in my strength and conditioning career at LSU and some of those things. So I have a strong, I've never competed, but I do have a strong background in Olympic weightlifting and I enjoy it. So I still do it.
1: Yeah. Um, you, you wake up every morning and, lift and go work out I wake up every morning and hit the golf course the best of the best of both worlds now if (laughs) if um you could pinpoint any keys to being a successful hitter at any level what do you think that that would be and then what are some good drills that you do with your players that high school players and high school coaches and college kids in the area could do to work on their game
2: um just keeping in mind again that i'll be respectful to the yankees and their super secret top secret things they've got going on um you know I, i'll focus more on think something that i think is extremely important and also just you hear guys talk about as they get older is just the mental game and being able to control their anxiety levels you know when i say anxiety levels that could mean just about anything so you could be really low anxiety and you're just hanging out in the dugout and you're not paying attention and you're laughing with your friends and you're chilling and you're relaxed. And then you're not high, you're not high enough to step into the box and be locked in. Um, But I think that's something that people probably deal with more often is having high anxiety and being able to control that. And so that obviously applies to just about any part of the game, but, um, and I'll talk about how I dealt with it as a player actually, but um, just being able to come down, you know, when it's a, stressful situation and especially because a stressful situation doesn't have to mean bottom of the ninth base is loaded a stressful situation for you if you're a bench player coming off the bench could just be no one on base and you just got to prove yourself so knowing how to basically bring yourself down from that high anxiety level to an appropriate amount of anxiety, or we call it appropriate amount of like emotional arousal, where you're like you're in it, but you're not over the top stressed out. Your heart is not pounding, your breath rate is normal, and so I definitely have done a deep dive into that work. You know, from a strength and conditioning perspective, but I talk about it with hitters all the time now is just being able to like use your breath more than anything as a we call it a dial for your heart rate and a dial for your body physiologically. So one of the things I guess the original question was like a suggestion. And I would just say that like using your breath to be able to control your body. So if you are nervous before you go go up to bat, well, first of all, you got to recognize that you're nervous. So, and second of all, if you don't know, if you're not sure, like just have a pre-routine. So when you're in the hole or even like, a couple, if you're If you're coming up to bat in the next inning or two, maybe, like, stay away from your teammates, go sit at the end of the bench, and just get your breathing under control and start to visualize what you're going to do before you get out there because it's, like, that's, like, jumping into ice water, right? Like, if you're not prepared for it mentally, from a physical standpoint, it's, like, jumping into ice water and your body's, like, whoa, like, okay, wait, I'm not ready for this. Like, what's going on? You realize you're not going to die but also like your body has to adjust really quickly. Whereas instead just think about it as like turning down the temperature slowly so that your body can adjust in time. And that's the same thing with your mind. It's like, if you're not paying attention and then all of a sudden somebody's like, Hey, you're on deck. And then you run out there and you're like, Oh shit. Like, okay, wait, what is this pitcher throwing? Uh, Where is his arm slot? What's the timing? Like you're not thinking about it. And then your mind has to adjust so quickly that you're not ready for it. And so I think just like, the mental game of being prepared, and that, and that starts frankly before the game, when you know what pitcher if if you're if you're at any kind of high level baseball, you know what pitcher's throwing. There's some kind of scouting report, being able to watch video on those guys. Like the mental game, I think is is just everything, and it's something that I'm probably more passionate about than anything else. And I'm happy to share like my my own personal journey with playing softball. I was a catcher, and I had the yips, like bat. So I, my career actually ended from like, from that, like I couldn't, I couldn't throw the ball with any sort of accuracy. And so I, and at the time mental skills, wasn't a thing, you know, we weren't talking about mental skills. We weren't talking about performance anxiety or mental health or anything like that. So at the time I just thought it was mechanics and no one was there to tell me that it wasn't. So I just lost my mind. Like, I mean, literally I just like, I lost my mind. I couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher and I didn't know what was going on. So I just had this extremely high level of anxiety and I had no coping mechanism, no no breathing techniques, no yoga, no nothing, like nothing that was going on. So I, I, it's definitely close to my heart and it's something I think if I was going to give any piece of advice, you know, from a general perspective, it would be to focus on the mental game and have some techniques such as breath work or breathing practices in the dugout. No one has to know. I know it's not cool. Uh, you want me to give you some cool drill to do? I know it's not cool. No one has to know. You just sit by yourself, start visualizing, calm your breath down, understand what your body's doing. Is your heart pounding? How do you fix that? Doing breathing exercises. So that was – you asked me what advice I would give and then what drills. Um, I'm not going to say like I'll suggest any specific drills, but what I will say is, Make practice hard. You know, don't go and get front flips for an hour. Like, what the hell does that really do for you? You know, that's – if you're making major mechanical changes, if you're – if you are in a stage where you are really trying to make a change in your game or in your swing specifically, yeah, that's appropriate because you're making the task very easy so that you can make a physical adjustment. But if you're not making major mechanical adjustments, you should try to face, like, live pitching that's difficult for you we all know you can have the most beautiful swing in the cage off the tee and that doesn't mean shit when you get in the game it doesn't so i think just i'm not going to recommend any specific drills but just make your practice difficult so hopefully you can get off of like a machine that's throwing hard or live pitching or something that is actually going to challenge you with sabermetrics
0: being a more prevalent thing in the game today more than they were 20 plus years ago and just kind of the way that you approach things like you had mentioned earlier with, uh, eye, you know, eye tracking and training on those kind of things. And I guess my, my question really is how what kind of correlation do you see between those two? And do they marry up? Obviously, do, they, do you think they marry up well together?
2: Oh, I mean, I OK. First of all, just to preface this. I am brainwashed, you know, like I didn't have those things when I was playing. But as soon as I got into baseball it was like pretty much, I think, the big tech revolution started. Uh, and I also worked for the Houston Astros who's you know, say what you want, scandal, I get it. But also like being in that organization for three years and seeing what they were doing, it wasn't just it wasn't just banging on trash cans, you know, it's, it's like. Oh, for they, sure. I have I have huge admiration for some of the things that were going on there, and the people and the visionaries. Truly, what they were doing there, um, and I do believe fully one thousand percent that a large part of their success. I mean, you can say whatever you want about the major league team, but their minor league system was stacked too. So, and I'm, I was there, so I can tell you, we weren't banging on trash cans, you know. So, the the analytics <laughs> that they used, the analytics that they used to for their scouting department really first and then how they applied that to player development was absolutely way ahead of their time. And the entire rest of baseball is trying to catch up with them. And there's a reason. So absolutely like without, without going into detail again, it's like, I can look at somebody's page, I can look at someone's analytics and our numbers internally for the Yankees and know what their swing is going to look like. Like that's how, that's how precise they have, they have been. And, It just is a really, it's like, it's like, basically I could tell you like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go visit Minneapolis or I can tell you the exact street I'm going to be on the exact coordinates. You know, I can tell you exactly where I'm going to be instead of like a broad, like, I think you need to get it better at this. It helps you just zero in on what needs to be done and maybe how you can create a plan to do it. Um, It's also like just use clues you know it's not this whole like first of all every swing is a launch angle swing because the ball comes up with that at an angle so sure the whole term launch angle it's like i think it's just been used and overused and whatever it's we still use it internally but people are losing their minds over launch angle and it's like all right let's think about this for a second i have two things one of them is my opinion and one of them is like literal, just like science like let's look at who is successful and not just one person, not one person, because one person could get is it could be an outlier and just do something extremely well and be successful. But if you look at like thousands of players and they all do something the same, you probably want to follow suit. Right. So if I tell you that, like, 90 percent of big leaguers are hitting the ball at 110 miles an hour or more, you probably want to try to hit the ball hard. And then you try work backwards and say, how do I do that? If I tell you that 90% of big leaguers over the past three to five years are hitting the ball in the air at a certain angle, you probably want to try to do that. And then you're going to work backwards to see how you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. The second thing I would say about that is just like, this is, I think about 30, I'm a very big picture person and I think long-term and like, I think bird's eye view we look at the game of baseball. We have some major issues to think about, like very deep-seated structural issues in professional baseball to think about how we can get better. One of those things is how can we make a better product for the fans to keep them interested? If we look at uh, you know, if we look at your favorite team, Nick, and one of your favorite players, the person that signed the thing, I won't mention the name. We learned something during that era of time when guys were mashing the ball. Fans like that, you know, like the the game was exciting. There was a chase, people were competing with each other, they were following the game within the game. You know, we, they were following the home runs, like they, it was exciting, you know, and, and those players were followed and they were, they're just like exciting people to follow in general because they're yoked, like everyone wants to see what's gonna happen when he gets up to the plate. So we don't have steroids anymore, is which is a good thing. But how do we recreate that? We want to hit the ball in the air. We want to hit it hard. Guys got to get in the weight room. They've got to hit the ball hard like that. It's like there's a there's a broader perspective and something else to keep in mind that, like, we want the game to be exciting for the fans. Uh, And that's something that maybe high school people aren't worried about. But it's something I I think about for sure, again, from like a 30,000 foot view
1: couple things that I, I do want to piggyback on that you mentioned before Rachel's referring to my Oakland A's mural I have uh, in the background she, she said I went a little <laughs> overboard and I put too much memorabilia in there but you know what that's that's her call we didn't have her on the on the show to give me interior decorating uh, advice here but um, so you talk about the Houston Astros their low a affiliate is actually an hour away from us. Quad City River bandits and yeah they had every top prospect hopefully um, Jose Altuve, uh, Carrera, I mean, you name it, they came through that. And they had won the Low A World Series as well. And then the one thing I will be happy to say is uh, Dubuque Hempstead, a program that I was a part of, we were doing that mental aspect. We would, uh, once awesome. a week, we would do yoga. And we, after we were finished with yoga, the lights would go out and Um, we would listen to, with our eyes closed, a motivational message from somebody. And that year, we went on to set the school record and wins, won our first 19 games, were ranked number one in the state. Unfortunately, we lost in the state semifinals. But I will say that, yes, we were very talented, but that was something we had never done before that, that I think helped us get through that adversity. Now, Nick, you have loads of Yankee questions that you'd like to ask Rachel. But, Rachel, I have one because spring training is a special is a special time for me. I really enjoy going down every year. But who are some of the Yankee greats that you got to connect with during your short time at spring training?
2: Mm, yeah, not a lot because it was short, unfortunately. Uh, I was there for just about five weeks before everything shut down. Um, but i would say like i mean classic nick swisher like he's just an absolute gem talk about energy talk about like he just uh really brings a positive energy to the field and just whether that's just talking a little shit to the guys or actually like answering a lot of their questions you know personal questions uh he's a dj so he likes to you know, get, get, he's just the most energetic, honestly, I enjoy being around him so much, had some really good talks with him. Um, he, he has a a wife who is a really successful actress and two young daughters. So he was like, I got to talk to, you You know, like I got two daughters and whatever So it was really fun to connect with him and he's just an absolute ball of energy. And then I, I mean, other than that, like, as far as Yankee greats, I would say I met a few other people, but just it was really, really special for me personally and just cool to. Uh, Luke Voigt um, is there now, but he was with the Cardinals when he was first drafted, and I was also there. And so I saw him like when he was a baby, you know, when he was just drafted, not a high round draft pick, but man, he works his ass off. Like he earned it. So to, to see him you know, be in the big leagues. And then we were able to like just say hi and hug each other and say congratulations to each other. You know, I was like, I'm so happy for you. This is incredible. Like you've earned it, you know, and he was like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> and so it was really, I think just personally special to reconnect with him and say hi and, and uh, see what he's up to now, which is, he just still is getting after it and it shows cause he's huge and he's, he's a, uh, um, he's just a really great story.
1: That's awesome. Did you throw out Nick mural in the background?
2: <laughs> no, no, I didn't. But if you want to feel that way, that's totally fine. You want to take that. That's fine. Keys
1: are very well known for bringing in guest instructors such as Reggie Jackson, Andy Pettit, Tino Martinez. Prior to COVID-19, did you have any interactions or get to have any baseball conversations with any of those guys?
2: Um, I did meet Reggie a couple times. Like, uh, those guys are always great to have around you know i think every organization i've been in has done a really good job of just having like some legacy players that have seen it all you know and have been players and coaches and administrators and i think it's always great to have their perspective and reggie chime in there and give some of his experiential advice idea in any business which by the way baseball is not the only thing that's getting a bunch of data thrown at it right like a lot of companies are going through this and in, in all areas of business where we're trans we're transitioning to a very digital world and um, more data is available for everyone and so i think it's important um and i think many organizations see the value in having people who were around before this and also kind of younger people who could work their way around the tech. So Reggie has, I've heard Reggie say some things that I'm like, dang, I never even thought about, you know, that never literally never even crossed my mind. So he's brought, um, he brings a a great perspective and it's always, it's always great to interact with, with legends and veterans like that.
1: Now, have you ever had any interaction with the Yankees manager, Aaron Boone? Um, people say he's definitely a player's manager and he's, big on building a high rapport and solid relationships with his players, but his coaching staff as well.
2: Um, I have interacted with him, but I, I don't want to uh, allow, I don't want to embellish, excuse me, any of these interactions. Like I've met Reggie a couple times and just kind of been around him. Uh, I met, I've met Aaron. Um, he is, uh, he's really just, he's charismatic. You know, he's down to earth. He's not one of those people where you can't talk to him. He uh, he's, not going to act above you I don't think and he was uh, we had a very good conversation and like just I could see I again I don't spend a ton of time around him but I could see how players would really relate to him just because he's very down to earth he's not going to sit in his office and not talk to anyone probably I'm sure he's interacting with them and joking with them and giving him shit and just going back and forth with them it seems like he's that kind of guy uh, so yeah I, I definitely enjoyed my interaction with him and I could see how he'd be very relatable to the players. I, I
0: guess I had a follow-up, just a comment, too, about Aaron Boone, I guess. Uh, you know, one thing I that I noticed a lot, and this was going back to last season, was uh, he uh, he had that little tirade during the uh, first game of a doubleheader against Tampa. Like, I think it was the second inning, and the team really rallied around him because he went to bat for his, for his players, because they, they got hosed on a bad call, and and uh, they went on a, on an incredible run after that, and they just seemed like they, they really embraced him fully as their manager and just really took things to the next level. And I just just seeing that and seeing the players really really get behind the manager, the manager getting behind his own players too, was just it was a really nice thing to see and it just goes to show his character and, and how the players really do respect him.
1: Can we stop with the Aaron Boone love fest? We all know who the best manager in major league baseball is.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Bob
1: Melvin, hands down.
2: I mean, look look at the guy's
1: resume, hands down the best manager in all of baseball.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I can't, again, it's like, I can't speak exactly to what went on there or what I, you know, again, I'm not trying to embellish any experiences that I've had so far, but just speaking personally and being like the type of person I'm a very, very high intensity person. Um, I would probably wouldn't be here and wouldn't be able to exist in that environment if I wasn't. And so definitely seeing that last year fired me up and just like knowing, I think it depends on the team you have. It depends on the mix of guys that you have, but if you've got a manager that's going to go off like that and not just the normal, like, okay, arguing a call, but like, That t-shirts are made and like it's a rant it's a it's gonna be played for a few years, you know, that he just basically is like, Yeah, I don't care what people think of me, I'm gonna have my players back. I think anytime that happens on a on a team, you're gonna get players that are gonna sell out a little bit more probably and just kind of see him as like, okay, he's one of us and he has our back, instead of like he he's this like buttoned up, you know straight straight lace doesn't want to get in any trouble kind of person um but it just depends on the players you know it's a it's a recipe between the manager and the players in any team I've ever been a part of ever you know whether that was LSU uh women's basketball or the New York Yankees and watching that happen so it's a recipe but it seems like the players responded for sure Ray, so hold on, Nick. Oh, I'm going to cut you go off ahead.
1: here. Um, go ahead. Nick and I have been texting the past couple days about our excitement for this interview. And he has been annoying the crap out of me with this Yankee prospect he wants to ask you about. So, Nick, I'm going to I'm going to give you a fastball right down the middle, just like Chan Ho Park did to Cal Ripken Jr. in his all star game here. Go ahead. Oh, and gosh. Ask your question about okay. the Yankees prospect, that you've been driving me nuts about the past four days.
0: <laughs> so have you worked at all with Jason Dominguez?
2: Uh, yeah, I um, he, he actually was only up there for a couple of weeks because he was in the Dominican Republic. Um, so I, I don't think I'm the most well-versed person. And I'm not even sure if, he, if if he was there for longer, but uh, he is exciting and he hits the ball hard. So we'll see what happens. That's all I can say, really.
1: He, <laughs> that's a big mean, scouting report.
2: Yeah, they gave him they gave him the nickname
0: of the Martian. If he's 17 years old, he's just yeah. I, everything I've seen and read, and like his scouting report coming out of the international. Uh, bonus signings is off the charts. Like I, I was blown away. They've never given anybody that high a ranking internationally. It's, it's crazy.
1: Rachel, I just first of all want to say this is awesome that you agreed to sit down. I like to call us the little podcast that could because we come from a small area. We cover local baseball around our area, people that have um, done things in professional baseball, And it started out very small and it's gotten extremely big. And this was the first one that I was actually nervous for. I saw your story on ESPN that I believe last night when I watched it for about the 47th time had 1.8 million views. And we end every podcast with a segment called Closing Time. And we play who I think is the second greatest closer in baseball's entrance music, Mariana Rivera's Enter Sandman, behind Dennis Eckersley, of course. And we give you an opportunity to speak uninterrupted, um, to give an inspirational speech or to touch on something that you feel truly strongly about. Um, Would you be interested in doing that for us?
2: Oh, man. I love that song, and yes, I'm interested. And
1: yes, you agree, second greatest closer of all time, correct?
2: Ah, uh, <laughs> we got, we got first, but I'll let you have it. All right, thank you.
1: <laughs> we know when we hear Mariano Rivera's music in the background, the podcast is coming to an end, just like the game did when he entered. Stick around for closing time. Rachel, it is also common practice that we give you a cheesy baseball-related nickname to go with your closing time segment. So since you are a hitting coach, we're going to barrel it up with Balkovec.
2: Okay, wonderful.
1: It's all you. Take it away.
2: Uh, I think the most common question I get is is like what advice would you give to young women wanting to get into any kind of profession and I I would say that my advice would be the same for a a young person or an older person you know sometimes people my age are older where it's like you know being the underdog is an advantage it is quite possibly the most underrated advantage that exists and if you you could just view your shortcomings or the reasons for which people are holding you down or holding you back as your power, then you would realize that you're more powerful than the people who don't have a hard time. You know? And so I think, that, I think that my closing message is just like, if you are too short, too small, a woman, a man, too old, too young, fuck that. That's ridiculous. That's not even a thing. You're making it up in your head. In fact, it's worse. Other people are making it up and putting it in your head, and you're allowing them to put it there. So I would just say that if you are the underdog, enjoy that, embrace that, and understand that you should be sitting back and laughing. Because when you do make it, you're going to be that much better than the rest of the people around you.
1: Rachel, thank you for sharing that with us, and thank you for being a guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Six four three, we're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by
0: Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.
1: Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.